Welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. I'm Hannah. And I'm Tyler. We're here to learn more about the lives of authors that have inspired us, a journey into the stories they not only created, but also lived. So join us as we dive deep into the worlds that live just out of reach. Welcome, children, to Storytime with Anna and Tyler, where we sit down and tell you a wonderful story for you to fall asleep to. Tonight is the story of a woman who decided she wanted to fall asleep. Oh, no. No. (laughs) Tyler. never wake up again. Oh, my God. I knew it was going to be bad, but I didn't know it was going to be that bad. (laughs) (laughs) If you're not going to do it, then I will, Hannah. That's how it works. Tonight's bedtime story is about the late, great Sylvia Plath. Yes. It's a wonderful bedtime story. If you weren't sleepy before, you're definitely going to be depressed and sleepy now. You're going to wake up in the morning and be like, what's the point? What's the point of anything? We're all just meat sacks waiting to expire. I feel like she could have said that a lot more eloquently than meat sacks waiting to expire. But, you know, that has a certain ring to it, too. Yeah, that's my poetry. (laughs) Get off my case, Hannah. I'm I'm sorry. We can't all be suicidal maniacs who write good words on paper pages. Paper plates? (laughs) Is that what you're (laughs) writing yours on? (laughs) That's what I was told I have to write my poems on is paper plates. Yeah, J.K. Rowling had napkins, you have plates, you know. (laughs) All sorts of fake dishware. Anyway, Um, welcome to Between Lewis and Lovecraft. If we sound tired and off, it's because it's November and it's dark outside. Like, it was dark, like, three hours before we started recording and, uh, you know, that yeah, sad, screw daylight saving or that whatever. That sad is hitting us, right? Yeah, seasonal affected disorder. Yeah. I Talon it- literally told me that I should, like, lay under the grow light that we have for our indoor plants. But mm-hmm. it's, like, this tall, so I don't think that's going to work out. <laughs> for our listeners who can't see because this is an audio medium, by this Sorry. tall... <laughs> This by this tall, I mean it clips onto the side of a table, and the arm is about twelve inches tall. Yeah, I was going and hanging out underneath the warming light that we have for our chickens outside. You know, just so no could, way. No, I wasn't. We don't have chickens. Okay, I live in an apartment in Oregon City. I don't have chickens. Oh yeah, I forgot that you guys moved. Okay, so yeah. this is yeah, we moved yeah. away from the farm. It's great. We don't have to fight dogs at night to sleep or um like fight dogs to get to our car or uh fight okay, dogs Okay, I also to... grew up on a farm and I'm not <laughs> sure why there's so much dog fighting going on in your version. Yeah. It's a whole thing. <laughs> the dogs on that on that property are um not my favorite dogs in the world and uh I tell them that every time I see them. Well, maybe if you spoke a little more kindly to them. Uh, that they had their chance. <laughs> They lost it when they woke me up 15 times in one night, um, like the Nazis used to do to torture their victims. Uh, so one of these dogs, I literally call the Hitler of dogs. 
Oh my god. <laughs> and yes, I have screamed that in front of four-year-old children <laughs> on the property as I try to get this dog to get away from me. So the move was probably good for lots of people and yes. animals. Yes. It wasn't just good for me and Becca. It was good for the rest of the family that still lives on the farm. And the And animals. the Hitler of dogs. Yeah. <laughs> well, with that uh, lovely intro, I think we've canceled our podcast like four times already so we might as well just get into it it's great yeah we'll come back stronger (laughs) next year (laughs) (laughs) so yeah so we're talking about uh sylvia plath who was one of the most uh dynamic poets is a word that i've seen to describe her a lot of the mid-20th century uh she earned respect among poetry circles even before her sudden suicide at age 30 uh, but, of course, her poems and soul novel, The Bell Jar, really took off after um, she died. And they are emblematic of the confessional style that emerged in the 1950s. And this is something that we see a lot of even now, especially with poetry. And it seems like, especially with female poets and writers, like the confessional style is very big even today. Yeah. Um, and Tyler read The Bell Jar, so he can talk all about that later i'm sure i i know you've had some uh strong reactions to it already on like uh our instagram and stuff so yeah i can't wait to hear your take uh, yeah. because i've completely forgotten everything i knew about the bell jar i think i read it like probably eight years ago and, and it left no mark everything? on me really i've well, forgotten you everything read so much i can understand that like for me i read a book and it's like it's in my head for like ever and if i love it it's in my head if I hate it, it's in my head. But if I feel nothing about it, it's just gone. <laughs> so I obviously felt nothing about the bell yeah. jar. Which is crazy. I feel like it is just a quick, not a spoiler because it's not a spoiler, but like a spoiler into my emotional state on it. Um, I feel like it's a really important book for young women to read. <laughs> obviously not this young woman. <laughs> I, you, yeah, it's super interesting to me that you didn't, like, you as as who you are, it's really interesting to me that you didn't care much for this book. Maybe it was a timing issue. Maybe I should go back again now that I know Maybe. more about Sylvia Plath and reread it. But at the time, I was just like, meh. Yeah, the the this speaks to the uh, die-starving sort of mentality that you have. That's the tattoo you have, right? Like, die-starving. Yeah. Star free. Uh, star Either free. Way. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you don't want to die starving. <laughs> uh, Starve dying. <laughs> um, yeah. Star free. Uh, it's it's a very, I, I don't know. I feel like it has a very star free sort of mentality to it. Well, that's like a, a ringing endorsement then. So, um, sure. <laughs> yeah, I said I said what I said specifically about about it so far. We'll get we'll get into it. We'll get we'll into get it. into it. Okay. So first, we have to go through uh, the the wonderful life of Miss Sylvia Plath. So we start where we always start. At the beginning, Sylvia at the death. was born. She died in <laughs> after death. Yeah. So in 1964, um, no, she was born October 27th, 1932, in Boston, Massachusetts. Uh, October 27th happens to be my birthday, so uh, I've always felt very uh, kindred with Sylvia Plath. Yeah, another reason it- why. What the fuck is up with you in the bell jar? 
This is a it's mystery. Also, it's also the birthday of poet Dylan Thomas, who ran in kind of the same uh, poet circles as Sylvia Plath. So poet she's got circles. lots of connections already gotcha. to great writers, me and Dylan Thomas. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm very glad you're able to establish yourself within the circles of Dylan Thomas and Sylvia Plath. Yes. All I got to do is, you know, make it past, I think, 42, and I will have uh, lived longer than either of them. Yeah, you've got, you've got what, like three three <laughs> years left before you have to overpass uh, Sylvia? <laughs> before I have to do better than Sylvia, yeah. yeah. Um, her parents were Aurelia, Aurelia Schoberplath and Otto Plath. Uh, Aurelia was... Austrian, I believe. Um, and her dad was from Germany. Uh, he was a German immigrant. Um, and apparently Sylvia's German heritage was always very important to her. Uh, although it presented its own set of challenges growing up in the era that she did. Yeah. Um, her father experienced it even earlier. He was detained by the FBI for alleged pro-German sympathies in 1918. Mm-hmm. So World War One era. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a committed pacifist and renounced his German citizenship in 1926 and then uh, was very, like, attuned to what was going on while Hitler was rising to power. Yeah. Uh, there's... In, oh, I forgot to introduce the biography I read, which was... It's a really new one. Uh, Red Comet, The Short Life and Blazing Art of Sylvia Plath by Heather Clark. This thing Holy is 940 pages, not counting the prologue. Good lord, sir. And when you count that in the notes, it's more than 1,100 pages. So <laughs> Jeez I Louise. didn't finish this. This is the least prepared I'm coming into a, an episode because why would you? She only lived to 30. Why is this book so long? Yeah. Like, do they like go off on like a Tyler tangent, like about things? No, the thing is, um, like, after Sylvia's death, uh, her mother published a bunch of letters. Like, she fastidiously kept journals and wrote tons of letters throughout her life. So there's, like, a buttload of source material to draw on, and it's all been incorporated into this book. Gotcha. Yeah. So there's just a lot of detail. A lot of detail. Like, too much detail? Like, hey, we didn't need to know about that. This... <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, there's some scandalous stuff too. Ooh, but scandalous. but that's the interesting stuff. I don't need some of the boring stuff, but I mean, like if how you are long truly she spent in the bathroom on, yeah. you know, October 28th 15th. of <laughs> the day after her birthday in in 1942. <laughs> she was real hungover. Yeah. Wait, she was 10 then. <laughs> she would have been 10, so she just pushed out a no. big log. <laughs> We don't need to know that information. That's what I'm saying. That that information is not in the uh, biography that I know of. I didn't read the whole thing because, again, 940 pages. (laughs) But if you are a true Sylvia Plath fan, then you should probably read this book. So It's like the Bible uh, of Sylvia Plath. Real quick, just just a a fair warning to everybody else. I I had never heard of Sylvia Plath before this episode's research. The only other time I had ever heard of her was when a year ago, Hannah was like, Hey, next year we should do an episode on Sylvia Plath. And I was like, cool. All right. (laughs) Sounds good. (laughs) All right. Um, so is this, is, am I missing out on something huge here? Is, is, is Plath a, an author that's like, 
like Tolkien-esque in how how well renowned she is and I'm just I've missed that I feel like Tolkien's a bad comparison because he wrote like entire worlds but and like Sylvia Plath just my, wrote my point poems being about like, her own life like well renowned like you say Tolkien everybody knows who Tolkien is right um if you're a poet then Sylvia Plath is probably Tolkien-esque to you okay gotcha okay yeah yeah. All right, so it's but not if like some if obscure... you're a sci-fi person, then no, you are right. not expected to know her name. It's not an obscure person when it comes to the world of poetry, and and that's probably my big thing. I don't do poetry. I I tried to write uh, poetry. I tried to write music um, when I was younger, and um, I could get away with it. But like, reading poetry is literally the most boring thing in the world to me. Like, I can't do. <laughs> tempo i can't read in specific ways while i'm reading stuff like what if i was to read poetry it would just sound like me reading whatever and it kind of rhymes but yeah I'd you're not good at iambic tempo. pentameter exactly <laughs> that thing that that the, thing the only one that i can remember the name of from brit lit or whatever i remember there's the whole process of a b a c and then like A B A C or something like that. That's like a whole. Yeah, thing, it's right? just different rhyming right. things in the stanzas. Yeah, stanzas. Yeah, stanzas. Totally. <laughs> I hope Miss Groff is listening. Miss Groff is awesome. I learned but something. She, but she. <laughs> but she only she didn't like me because I would BS all of my speeches in speech and debate class. So that and I didn't like poetry. <laughs> two strikes you're out yeah she's done with me okay so back to to sylvia plath's parents or upbringing <laughs> so um yeah so her her dad had already been detained at one point for being german uh and according to this biography sylvia may have been picked on uh during her childhood for the same reason and possibly nervous that members of her family would be sent to the detention camp for German Americans. So rough time for little, little Sylvia grown up in Massachusetts. Um, So she had this like enduring sense that her German heritage was interesting and important to her, but also potentially dangerous or at least something that she should be ashamed of a little bit. Uh, her dad, Otto, was an entomologist, which is a bug-studying scientist, uh, and a biology professor at Boston University, and his life work revolved around bumblebees, which is adorable and became a theme in some of her poems later on. Uh, and her mother was also super educated. She had been a student pursuing a master's degree in teaching when she met Otto, and then she became a mom. Yep, which also becomes a theme in her writing. Yes. <laughs> Um, and Sylvia's younger brother, Warren, was born in 1935, so when she was about three years old. He was a super sick child. Um, he required almost constant attention from their mother. Um, and so Sylvia often had to go stay with her grandparents to kind of stay out of the way while her mom was taking care of Warren. So when Otto was home, Sylvia, like, clung to him for attention since she kind of felt that her mother's attention was already all used up by her little brother. So she kind of was trying to make herself into Otto's pet. Mm. Um, she occupied herself, uh, by finding capital letters in newspapers and reading them out loud to her mom when she was just a a little tot. 
And then Otto would teach her the Latin names of insects he was studying until she could recite them on command. And he, like, very much delighted in any, like, academic or educational achievements she had. He wasn't, like, a fun, happy-go-lucky dad. Like, they (laughs) didn't go to the beach or do anything cool together. It was all, like, okay, recite these Latin names or, like... He was really impressed one time when he found her, like, copying a pattern of the Taj Mahal with little, like, mosaic tiles when she was a little kid. So he liked when she impressed him, Mm. basically. And then the rest of the time, he was just like, yeah, stay out of my way, kid. (laughs) I've got bugs to look at, little girl. I've got bumblebees to look at. I have to make sure the bumblebees are doing the things (laughs) that bumblebees have been doing for hundreds of thousands of years. I think this might be your best accent yet, yeah, actually. I've been practicing my German accent for a long time. Um, <laughs> only because I play a ton of video games and they're always the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Germany. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Sylvia's father, Otto, died in 1940 from complications following the amputation of his foot due to untreated diabetes. Uh, he had gotten sick. That's not funny, but you said diabetes. There's nothing funny about dying from diabetes. You can't say it like that and not. I'm like the old dude on the commercials. Diabetes. My name is Otto and I died of diabetes. Otto died because he was kind of dumb and self-diagnosed himself. Uh, He got sick around the same time one of his friends died of lung cancer. And so he became convinced that he also had lung cancer. But no, what he had was diabetes and he didn't get treatment. And then it was too late. And then they cut his foot off and he bled out and died. I'm not really sure. I'm always very confused about the amputation thing. I'm not sure why he died from the foot cutting off part, but he did. Yeah. It was very sad. Yeah, no, that's definitely sad. I mean, I wasn't <laughs> laughing at the death of a man. I was laughing at how you were saying this very sad thing, and then you said the word diabetes on top of it. Well, I wanted to le- like levity lighten up the mood a little, a little bit. Yeah, I get yeah, it. Yeah, a little levity. Um, so after Otto's yeah. death, Aurelia and the children moved into a house with Sylvia's grandparents. Yeah. yeah. A very Lovecraftian move. Yes. I didn't see anything about Grandpa Whipple, but I think she was pretty close to her grandma. Yeah. Um, and Sylvia was a super, super smart, gifted, artistically child. She uh, published her first poem at age eight in the children's section of the Boston Herald. So Damn. She's had more um, fiction published by age eight than I have in my life, I think. Roses are red. <laughs> violets are blue. They cut off my dad's foot, and now oh my he's God. dead. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That didn't even rhyme, so... I need to make that a shirt. <laughs> oh, that's so depressing. Okay, continue. As you're, like, crying, laughing... <laughs> so uh young sylvia is something of a prodigy over the next few years she had multiple poems published in regional magazines and newspapers 
She also showed promise as a painter, apparently, and won an award from the Scholastic Art and Writing Awards in 1947. Nice. Uh, she was also highly intelligent. At age 12, her IQ was recorded at around 160. What? Which makes her, like, on the far end of the genius section on the IQ scale. Yeah, that's like Isaac Asimov level genius. Yeah. And on top of that, she was also highly driven to succeed, which is probably because her dad only liked her when she was, yeah, Bumblebee you know, dad. saying Latin stuff. Um, she attended Bradford Senior High School in Wellesley, which is a Boston suburb, and graduated in 1950. Just after graduation, she had her first national publication in the Christian Science Monitor. So then she gets a scholarship to go to Smith College. Um while she's there, she won a Mademoiselle magazine fiction contest one year and secured a guest editorship at the magazine the next summer. That internship was the inspiration for the novel, The Bell Jar, yep. uh, because Sylvia later said that looking back on the summer, it was like looking through a bell jar. It distorted her memory of the entire experience, which uh, is probably because around that time she was really beginning to show symptoms of severe depression uh, during her undergraduate years. In a journal entry from June 1958, she wrote, It is as if my life were magically run by two electric currents, joyous positive and despairing negative. Whichever is running at the moment dominates my life, floods it. So that sounds a lot like bipolar disorder, also mm -hmm. known as manic depression. Um, there were not really any effective medications for bipolar disorder uh, during Plath's lifetime. So she didn't really have a ton of options. Um, and in August of 1953, um, that was her first like documented suicide attempt. Um, she was institutionalized after that and received electroshock therapy during a state of mental health facility uh, and later returned to Smith College. Um, so all of those experiences with the internship and the breakdown and her recovery were then channeled into fiction for the bell jar. Yep. It's Do like, we want to talk about that now or like later? Uh, we can talk about it now, I guess. I, I mean, it literally just basically what you described is the story of, and there's a little bit more to it. The story of her, um, this, this book is a fictionalized audio, uh, audio autobiography uh i kept trying to say audio biography because i listened to the audio <laughs> um it's an audio autobiography huh there, Ooh, you go. there we go um the um the story is that uh it's a it's a girl and it's from her perspective her point of view it's first person and she's telling the story of her going to new york to uh be a part of this um this one month being paid to be a, a a writer for a fashion magazine, but she wants to be a poet. Um, she wants to write a novel and then um, she ends up going back home and everything that happened to her at the, in New York kind of sticks with her and kind of breaks her down a little bit. And then when she gets home, she starts to realize there's more to life than what she's being offered and she's not sure where she wants to go. And then some crazy shit happens to her at home. She tries to write a book, but she can't do it. The thing that she's been talking about doing the whole time, she just can't do it. Um, and then she starts to have a mental break and then she goes to a, uh, 
psychiatrist who then puts her in a mental facility, but then she gets transferred to a different mental facility because of a, of a writer that she admires, uh, finding her and, and kind of paying a scholarship to have her go to the other one. And then in that mental facility, she actually starts to get better. And then she uh, continues to live life and l- she loses her virginity while she's there. That's a whole <laughs> thing. Um, and, uh, and then a friend of hers commits suicide and that's pretty much the end. She, and then, and then she's, then she's good. She's happy again, or she thinks she's happy again. And then she even says like, I don't know when I might not be happy again. So I'm going to enjoy being happy again for now. That's so depressing. Yeah, that was me trying not to go into a tie tie of the Bible guy sermon. (laughs) So... But wait, so on our Instagram, uh, Between Lewis and Lovecraft, you made mention of uh, being uncomfortable about her descriptions of the male body. Um, yeah, uh, she talks a lot about the guys that she's with um, and, uh, you know, this, this, the whole, there's a whole premise, a whole, I guess, theme running through it that she wants to feel the excitement of losing her virginity but she never does until the very end with someone and it's like a meaningless nothing that happens and um t- but at the beginning she's like constantly like talking about dudes bodies and not even the same way that like uh that um Stephen King was doing with little girl bodies it's just she's just like constantly <laughs> talking about them plus Sometimes she's like super racist about it, and I'm like, okay, I don't like this. Um, okay, you got to tell me what the racist ones are, though, because I like everything else in that book. I've forgotten it. She's like constantly saying like, oh, he's a Jew, or oh, but he's Italian, or like, like not, and not in a way where it's like, oh, he's Italian, so he likes spaghetti. Like, no, it's like <laughs> we couldn't be together because he's Italian, and. You know, and because, you know, he's one of the Italians and like he like just the way she says it, it's not the words that she says as much as the way she says it. You know what I mean? And it's just like this is it's weird that you keep touching on this. She she says at one point she looks in the mirror and she's like, I looked I looked up and I saw an old Chinese woman. And then I realized it's me. But my skin was so yellow and wrinkled that I. And I'm like, bro, you can't say that. <laughs> but you totally could in the early '60s. Yeah, like it, that, and that was the thing. Like, I'm like, I'm like, man, this is such a timestamp of like, of like the the thought process of like, oh, we couldn't be together because he's he's Italian a Jew and I'm a Catholic, or she's a Christian Scientist, I guess. So, so you know, he, and. And so he's Catholic, so we couldn't be together. And it's like, you're you're making so many dividing lines here. You keep saying these words and calling people, you're a this, and it was just driving me nuts. <laughs> I think your problem might be with history and not <laughs> Sylvia Plath specifically. Yeah, me, good old woke white conservative <laughs> Tyler is, is having a problem with... Your problem is with uh with the 1950s and 60s, I think. Yeah, but but it what like there's a difference though. Like there's a difference between like 
okay, not to be an asshole, but even Lovecraft didn't put that much. I mean, he did. There were themes. Okay, I'm taking this back. But it, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, you can't say no. Sophie but there are like there are stories. There are Lovecraft. entire stories that Lovecraft wrote where it's like he didn't touch on racism almost at all. Right. Then there's entire stories where the big scary moment is where you find out that there's black people in your family lineage. So obviously <laughs> he's a racist, and he wrote books that add racist themes. I am not defending Lovecraft. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm just pointing out that not everything, for the racist Lovecraft, not everything was about race all the fucking time. But for, like, but for Sylvia Plath, it was like, every time she introduced someone, let's talk about what their race is. (laughs) And then you have to say it in a way that's very racist. You can't, like, describe them as... Oh, one I don't even know how to describe a Catholic without being racist at this point. Um <laughs> because I'm so like it's drilled into my head now. Thanks, Sylvia. <laughs> um, any other takeaways from the Bell Jar other than racism and sexy times? And <laughs> sexy times. Um, okay, so do you want me to just go into my whole my whole spiel then right now? Yeah, d- I mean don't don't rein in Tai Tai, the Bible guy. Right, yeah. I think that this is a really good book for young women to read because it is a commentary on expectations and social norms within a construct of like patriarchy and how it works to force women into submission and then the the hypocrisy that's built upon that for individual biases uh all those really big words mean basically fuck women um (laughs) and literally and metaphorically you can do whatever you want with them and speak to them however you want as long as you're getting laid and they're cooking you food then everything is good their mental health doesn't matter um and and they are you know, not as important as men. Um, And this book fights against that. This, you know, she is constant. This character is constantly struggling because she wants to be a poet. She wants to be an author. She wants to be something more. And, and really that's it. She just wants to be something non-normative. And, and the closest thing that she can think of is an author. Right. And, um, she talks about all the things she wishes she could do, like go out and be an uh, uh, etymologist. Is that what it is? The bug, the bug scientist mm-hmm. etymologist. <clears throat> she wants to be that because, again, this is this is a fictionalized autobiography. This is Sylvia Plath. You are reading her story. It just has a different character's name, um, Eleanor, or whatever, Eleanor, something or other. Um, that's her name, right? Uh, it's an E something. Esther. Esther. Thank you very much. Esther. Um, and, and she's, she wants more. And the whole time she is obsessed with finding someone to be with while still maintaining that she never wants to get married, but but she wants to enjoy a good time with them. And then the second she finds out that there's a man that she likes who enjoys just being with women, she calls him a hypocrite um, because 
what he enjoys about that or what he does is, is it's not that he's a hypocrite because he enjoys being with women. It's because he won't tell people he likes to be with women. Right. And he opens up about that with her. And then she's like, oh, now I hate you because you're a hypocrite because you won't just tell the truth. Um, and and <clears throat> and then she starts to have mental breaks because she wants to be with these guys or and she's smart enough to know what they want from her. But she doesn't want to give that to them. And she wants to be her own person and she's unwilling to become a wife because becoming a wife is one more step to becoming a mother and becoming a mother means you don't get to be what you want to be. It means you are now a mother. And she sees that example in her own mother. She sees that example coming from her boyfriend throughout the majority of the book who um, he himself says to her, you'll change your mind when you become a mother. And then he sees how he is with his mother and how ridiculous their relationship is. Uh, and then, and then there's all these experiences where like he, uh, or she goes out on a date with some friends and the guy she ends up with on that date, he is in love with his cousin and Ew. wants to fuck his cousin, but won't because it's his cousin. Um, so then he good call. He, and then he like basically rapes her, but he doesn't fully rape her. He just calls her a whore and like gets all up on top of her and shit. And that's when like the big moment of like her, she really starts to break happens because she realizes that she is being used as an object, and that's all she's good for. Um, and then through and then in in her mental. state, you know, like breakdown, she starts to build herself back up by forming relationships with women she hates. Um, and then she eventually has sex with this guy, um, and almost dies from losing her virginity. And, um, and okay, then, I do remember that part now and right? thinking like, what the hell is this? Yeah, exactly. And and but then that's the moment where she starts to really start to feel better like about herself because she finally it's not even that she's like, "Oh, I'm so glad I had sex or this feels amazing. It's just I'm glad that that happened to me." Right? Like I'm glad that I can join the group of people that have had sex and she feels not even fulfilled, just just like normalized by that mm -hmm. um and then her friend commits suicide her friend who was who she was jealous of because because she was doing better than her mentally um and so then she i feel like there's a little bit of like haha well i'll survive then and so she starts to feel better and then all of it leads to a moment where she's like yeah i'm i feel good now and the whole world was as if I was inside of a bell jar, which I didn't even fucking know what a bell jar is. But basically, it's the thing from uh, Beauty and the Beast. That's it's a, over yeah, the rose. It's the, it's the thing from Beauty. The, if you've watched Beauty and the Beast, the, the rose is inside of that that thing. That's a bell jar. And her whole point is, you're inside of this thing, and the world looking out is just off a little bit. Um, and for her, it was a lot of sadness, and she constantly thought about suicide. And she says, like, the world was exactly like being, like, the bell jar was being brought down on top of me, and, um, but now it's lifted, and now I'm good, but it could come back at any time, and I don't know when that's going to happen. And um, when I was listening to her biography at the end of that book, they were talking about, like, 
she was that was that was a she is saying to her audience like i don't know when i'm going to do it but i'm probably going to kill myself because i i don't think that i'll ever be healed i don't think at at any point i could find i could just not be happy anymore Mm-hmm. Um and so and then eventually she she wrote the book and then she went and killed herself because at the bell jar lowered upon her again. Uh so it's incredibly like the book technically has like a happy ending but because of her life the book is completely destroyed and it it's not a happy ending it's a warning to society and the expectations that we have on women. And the hypocrisy that, that the double standard that comes with the relationship between men and women. So I think it's important for young women to read so that they can go into the world knowing the cynicism that you have to have in order to survive and to be a little bit smarter than a dumbass woman who's just going to go kill herself. I think that was a good book review. <clears throat> I, there it is. I like that uh, interpretation. Yep. And now I feel inspired to read the bell jar again and see if I, <laughs> I view it differently. I was kind of an asshole when I was younger, so I was probably reading it and I was probably like, "Why is this girl so whiny?" Yeah. The, what, to be honest, I was a little I was a little disappointed just because they were like, "Watch as a one as one woman struggles with mental health and she breaks down, causing chaotic. What was the terminology? Chaotic um, repercussions around her." And I'm like, oh, is she going to, like, murder someone? This is going to be awesome. I can't wait to read this. I'm like, nope. She's just complaining about how stupid everyone is. <laughs> See, I, I think you're viewing it through the 2020 or 2021 lens. Yeah. But, like, at the time, this was probably a much bigger deal because people didn't really talk openly about stuff like that. Sure. Especially not ladies. And it comes at the at the same time as Ernest Hemingway's stuff, J.D. Salinger's stuff, where it was... The story isn't this big thing. It's just the experience that someone has that's different than the experience than, that you've had. Yeah, definitely. All right. So uh, with with the review out of the way, um, yeah, you reminding me of the plot of the book kind of gives new light to some of the experiences that were coming up on in her her um, later college years and all of that, because I can see how those definitely influenced the bell jar then. Um, So she graduated from Smith College in 1955 and won a Fulbright scholarship to study at the University of Cambridge. And I can't emphasize this enough. A Fulbright is like a super, super prestigious scholarship. So once again, Sylvia Plath, child genius, showing (laughs) off. So she got to go to uh, Cambridge in London. London, where she soon met poet Ted Hughes. Um, So Ted Hughes was among this group of young literary bros at Cambridge, and they were based around St. Baltoff's, I hope that's how you say it, uh, St. Baltoff's Rectory, which was where some of them lived. Uh, Ted Hughes was described by some as the ringleader. And by the time Sylvia arrived at Cambridge, they were already thinking of starting a literary magazine because the ones on offer at Cambridge already weren't suited to their kind of poetry so they were like (laughs) super pretentious they didn't like the like actually it was ironic because i was reading it and they were talking about how like they thought one of the literary magazines was too pretentious and the other ones weren't like pretentious enough and i'm like you guys are just like you just can't be happy with anything so they wanted (laughs) to start their own magazine um 
And when Sylvia's poem called Three uh, Carotids Without a Portico appeared in the winter 1956 issue of one of the Cambridge magazines, it was like very much the kind of stuffy, pretentious poem they were talking about. It was like very, very artsy. I think a caryatid, if I'm saying it right, is like some sort of old sculpture. Um, So it was like kind of... Uh, trying to be like very traditional I feel like that poem was um so s- many members of the uh so-called Batafians, uh Baltafians <laughs> ripped it to shreds I know they had their own lame little name um, and they called her poem trivial and immature one member uh named Bert knew Sylvia through his girlfriend and he later made it sound like their critique was at least partially based in the idea that women were better suited to be poets muses than a poet so they were a little little sexist back then. Yep. Uh, they also accused her of demeaning the poetic profession by publishing in middle-brow outlets like the New Yorker, Mademoiselle, and Ladies Home Journal. <laughs> Later on, she would try to convince them that, yo, guys, this is a good way for you to make money if you actually get your poems published. And then they made even more fun of her because poetry isn't about making money, it's not silly about woman. Money, you woman. <laughs> <clears throat> Poets are the worst. JK, I'm, I'm sorry if you're a poet out there, but these guys were the worst. So, Bert was the link between Sylvia and Ted, her future husband. He sold Sylvia a copy of uh, the St. Baltoff's Review in February of 1956, and she uh, pedaled furiously on her bike the same afternoon back to where he was, like, handing them out on a street corner and was like, yo, do you know Ted Hughes and E. Luke Myers? Because she, like, absolutely loved their poems. Uh, so Bert invited her to meet them at the magazine's launch party that night. Ooh. So she shows Come up looking backstage. fine. We've got a yeah. poem. She showed up looking you. fine and American in like some sort of red and black outfit, which sounds very Nazi esque, but whatever. <laughs> wow, you took it there. All right. <laughs> I'm just saying red and black, really, Sylvia? <laughs> really? With your father's with German your, heritage? Yeah, with your dad's German heritage and the bumblebees does the fbi know about you yeah um so she shows up looking fine uh you know drinks some booze and then walks up to ted who's probably wearing a lame sweater vest or something and shitting on other people's poetry are you kidding me dudes wearing oh yeah it is february it's cold yeah february in 1960s Or is it 50s? It's the 60s at this point, right? 50s. 50s still. Okay. okay. 56. Yeah. You can still have a beatnik in the 50s wearing a poet in the 50s. He's wearing a turtleneck. He's wearing a turtleneck and a and the 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 hat that the green berets, the beret. <laughs> He's a green beret and a turtleneck. <laughs> I don't know if it's so, green, just a beret in general. <laughs> So she walks up and starts quoting his poem from the magazine that she liked so much right at him. And there's music. So she basically has to yell it, which probably, I mean, it's a baller move. Yeah. More power to you, Sylvia. Yeah. Um, Ted later wrote that they retreated to a quieter room so mm-hmm. she didn't have to yell over the music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess some at some point before this, one of Ted's friends had written a mean review about Sylvia's poetry in another one of the literary journals. That son so of a bitch. Ted, I know. So Ted like privately assured her that his friend wouldn't have done that if Sylvia hadn't been so beautiful. Because you're not mean to ugly girls. I don't know. 
there's some mm. implication there and I don't like it. Mm, <laughs> no, don't like that. It's a, it's a one, you're selling your friend short, compromising his integrity. He can have his own friggin' opinion of someone's poetry. <laughs> Two, you're you're debasing her entire poet uh poetry career on her looks. Come on. Dick move. Ted. Poets suck. Sylvia Wentworth though. Suck. Poets suck. <laughs> Sylvia uh was already well aware of the fact that her uh, gender was making her a target on campus, uh, and told Ted that a woman practically had to sleep with the editor to get a poem published at Cambridge. Uh, mm. And apparently this was a big turn on because then he kissed her, quote, bang smash on the mouth, she wrote on her journal. Good Lord. Yeah. Even her bang diaries smash. are very poetic. Did she like do like big uh, Batman pow <laughs> right on the kisser? No, she's a poet, not a comic <laughs> or oh. a comic artist or <laughs> yeah, whatever. Uh, and then she like took it even way farther and when he went to kiss her on the neck she bit his cheek and drew blood apparently what the fuck which yeah so this is just like a precursor for how their entire relationship is going to be holy fucking hell uh so then after that little uh rendezvous ted rejoined his actual girlfriend at the party she was like in another room the whole time what uh, and then Sylvia, like, went off and almost hooked up with someone else. Of course. And then for almost a month, they didn't see each other again. Ted mm. asked all his friends about her and tried to figure out, like, where she lived on campus. Who's and that then he girl got, that I almost cheated on my girlfriend with? But he then she her. bit he did my cheat on her. cheek. <laughs> I mean, it is memorable. I'm not going to lie. How do, like, you go, how do you go back to your girlfriend and you're like, with oh, a bloody what's, cheek? Up? what's up, babe? She's like, honey, what happened to your cheek? Oh, you know, us dudes were just getting rough in the back. You know what I'm saying? It's Ew. like, oh, I was, I was pinching his nipples. And then he just like sw- swam around. And he just like clawed me around on the face. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's just dude stuff. <laughs> just dude. Just bros being dudes. <laughs> just a bunch of guys being dudes. Just a bunch of guys being dudes. So, yeah. So, he's trying to figure out where that sexy American lady is uh, and finally gets one of his friends to invite her to another party. Uh, During all of this, Sylvia was still hung up on some previous boyfriend named Richard Sassoon. She... Which is just like a great name. Should have stuck with him. Yeah, for real. Uh, She could have been Sylvia Sassoon. That would have been a great writer name. Yeah. Eventually, she resolved to get over Mr. Sassoon... And in mid-April, she and Ted started dating for realsies. And then she committed suicide. So, makes perfect sense. She (laughs) didn't marry Mr. Sassoon, and life is not worth living anymore. Yeah, all because of Richard. Yep. Uh, Within a month of uh, starting to date for realsies, they were engaged. Okay. And then on June 16th, they got married. Mm. So, mid-April to (laughs) mid-June. That's so good for them. I'm so glad that they lived happily ever after and didn't have any marital problems at all in any way after this point. That would be a beautiful story if it were true. It would be. It, it definitely would be. would be. Instead, uh, 
they had a very stormy marriage by Sylvia's own account. Stormy was a word she used in her own letters. Uh, they, they started off good. They spent their honeymoon in Paris and Spain and then went back to Cambridge in October for Plath's, Plath's second year there. Uh, they both got super into astrology and the supernatural, I guess, which mm. is good for them. Yeah. Uh, um, and then in 1957, uh, they moved to Massachusetts, so back stateside for Sylvia. Uh, she was teaching English at Smith College, her alma mater, and she also studied with a poet named Robert Lowell, where she also met future Pulitzer Prize-winning poet Anne Sexton. Um, so Anne Sexton, <laughs> like Plath, was... Okay, you can't just... <laughs> You are on a literary podcast, Tyler. You cannot just laugh because someone has sex in their name. Sexton. That's hilarious. All right. Sorry. So <clears throat> Anne Blankton, yeah. um, like Plath, was also known for her confessional style of verse. Um, and she and Lowell both encouraged Plath, Plath to write more from her own experience because that was like all the rage right then. Mm. She... Uh, Plath openly discussed her depression and suicide attempts with them. She also began to consider herself a more serious and focused poet and short story writer during this time. Uh, she and Hughes later packed up and traveled across Canada and the U.S., uh, staying briefly at an artist colony in New York in late 1959 before moving back to England in December. Do artist colonies still exist? They do. There's actually one sort of by where I live. I want to join an artist colony. It sounds super fun. You should do that, but I'm not going to because it sounds like a place where you go and then it turns into a horror movie and then you get sacrificed at the end. Exactly. Oh, you're into that. Okay. <laughs> I'm basically Sylvia Plath. I'm okay with dying at this point. You know... <laughs> Okay, my response is not to that part specifically, <laughs> but she should have written some sort of horror story about the artist colony, because I feel like there would have been a lot of material there for that. Yeah, maybe somebody else needs to write a fictionalized biography of Sylvia Plath, where she does go to the artist colony and get sacrificed. That's a great or idea. Or like, what if she joined the colony and then she's like, fuck you guys, I'm out of here. And they're like, Sylvia, you can't leave. And she's like... I'm leaving and they're like fine and then seven years later they show up and they hang her and make it look like a suicide and they're like we told you you can't leave bitch wow okay we should do a Halloween special where everyone has to write some sort of horror story involving a famous author and that Ooh, can be yours the, the, the Halloween horror author fanfic flash fiction episode fanfic flashfic yeah. I love it <laughs> perfect hit us up if you're Actually, interested in doing that your idea is way cooler than mine but i want somebody to write a uh, like revisionist history of sylvia plath's life where because at some point dylan thomas that famous poet who shares her birthday mm -hmm. he was invited to a meeting at mademoiselle magazine during her internship and she got really pissed because the editor didn't invite her to sit in on the meeting and one of her boyfriends at the time said that like she loved Dylan Thomas more than life itself. Jeez. So I want someone to write an alternate ending to her life where she marries Dylan Thomas instead of Ted Hughes and they live happily ever after and don't die tragically. So you want someone to write a fanfic of Sylvia Plath getting hot and heavy with this Dylan Thomas guy. Yeah. Gotcha. 
I just, you know, want a happy story for once. And then the artist colony comes and murders them. (laughs) You're just determined to uh, make Sylvia Plath have a very sad ending to her life. She's the one that chose this, not me. Okay. So... They're back in England. Uh, She published her first collection of poetry called The Colossus in 1960. Uh, The same year, she gave birth to a daughter named Freda. I'm not sure if it's after. Isn't it Freda Kahlo? Freda Kahlo? Yeah. I don't know if this is spelled the same way. I'm just going to go with Freda. Uh, Her husband, Hughes' career was also taking off around this time. Uh, In early 1961... She suffered a miscarriage. In a letter to her mother at the time, she wrote that she knew they were common, and her lady doctor assured her she would have another healthy pregnancy, but she was really unhappy about the whole thing. Later, though, she wrote to her therapist that Ted beat her up a couple days before the miscarriage. So she said she'd made him mad by tearing some of his manuscripts in half because he'd stayed late at a lunch and made her late to work because he was supposed to babysit the the baby girl Freda. Uh, Ted himself admitted in interviews that he used to, quote, try slapping her out of her rages. So there was a little bit of a domestic drama going on between them. Ironically, Freda is a German girl's name, and it means peaceful. Well, I don't think he slapped Freda, <laughs> if that helps. <laughs> So definitely, she this child brought a lot of peace to the relationship, right? Yeah. Mm. And then in January 1962, uh, they welcomed a second child, a son named Nicholas. Because that's what you do when your uh, relationship is kind of tumultuous. You just have another kid. Yeah. Kids, uh, kids fix marriages. Everybody kids knows fix that. marriages. Um just after the time that Nicholas was born, Sylvia started to suspect that Ted was cheating on her with their friend, Asia Weevil, uh, who also had a boyfriend. They had become couple friends. Uh, but Ted was messing around with Asia and officially admitted it in Ju- July of that year. So like six months after their son was born. But he and Sylvia stayed together. Uh, he even took a 10-day trip to Spain with Asia in September. And they stayed together. What? Yeah. What the fuck? I don't get it, man. Uh, And, like, during this, she was, like, still writing to her therapist. I'm not sure where her therapist lived that she was, like, writing them letters all the time. But there's a lot of letters between her and her uh, therapist. And the therapist was like, I don't know why you're letting Ted treat you like this. Good. Yeah. Oh, man. (laughs) I mean, at least Ted didn't get mad at her for ruining the the relationship that he had with his girlfriend because it was better that she kept her mouth shut so that they could all be happy with him having an affair, right? That's an Ernest Hemingway throwback, right? <clears throat> yes. Okay. There's a lot of cheating poets and authors out there, so At least at least well, she could have uh been like uh who's a Scientology guy? Gosh darn it. Uh, Hubbard. L. Ron Hubbard. Hubbard's wife, where uh, Hubbard started cheating on his wife with his with a girl. And then that girl got a boyfriend. And then um, Hubbard took... Uh, Hubbard and his wife went on a double date with the, oh, the yeah. mistress and her boyfriend. And that's where Hubbard's wife started a relationship with the mistress's <laughs> boyfriend. And they started an affair together. Didn't she end up marrying that guy? Like, they actually were happy together? 
I mean, good for them. Yeah. Maybe Sylvia should have tried that. Yeah, have gotten at, at what is her name? Asia. <laughs> yeah, it's spelled like Asia. So Asia. I'm going with Asia. No, nah, it's Asia. <laughs> She's an Asia. So after they returned from Spain, uh, Asia broke up with her boyfriend Asia. because she was very serious about Ted. Mm. Uh, and shortly after that, Sylvia and Ted separated too. It no only way. took like almost a year. <laughs> and so Ted Ted's out of their house at that point they're living in like the countryside of England or something uh, so in October Plath had a burst of creativity and wrote at least 26 poems that would later be compiled into her most highly re- regarded collection called Ariel uh, poems about the holocaust suffering women and the seemingly mundane act of cutting your thumb with a kitchen knife were among those that she churned out in that month of productivity uh, the New Yorker rejected all but one of the poems that Plath sent them in uh, the months of October through December, though. Hmm. As the the rejection letters piled up, her creative momentum and optimism faded because that kind of sucks. So where did she land on the Holocaust? Um. Okay, so one of her most famous poems is called Daddy. And, like, a lot of people think that it's about her dad. And she, like, depicts this very, like, super fascist Nazi dude. There's lots of imagery there. Um, But one of her childhood friends in the biography that I read was quoted as saying, like, that wasn't really like Otto. Because, like I mentioned earlier, he was a pacifist and actually renounced his German citizenship. So it's kind of hard to tell which poems are autobiographical and which ones are not so much Mm. um but yeah so imagery like that there's another one that i think is called lady lazarus or something where it's like from the point of view of a female prisoner in a nazi camp Mm. um that one like i i heard a reading of it um and i actually quite like that one like shoot sylvia plath is very good with imagery i feel like Mm. um and with the the kitchen knife poem like that one I think it's literally called cut. It's like just about how when you're chopping vegetables or whatever, like the knife slips and cuts your thumb. And it's just like so vivid and turns the act of like accidentally slicing your thumb into like this exhilarating read. Wow. So, yeah, I I, even as someone who would never read poetry for fun, (laughs) she I, I feel like she's good. Uh-huh. I have no grounds on which to say that other than when I read her poems, I'm like, this ain't bad. I like this. Okay. So if you hate poetry, read Sylvia Plath. Yeah. I mean, you still might not like poetry, but then you can see like, you know, maybe you like this a little bit better than Shakespeare. Yeah. I do like it better than Shakespeare. Shakespeare. We'll do an episode on him one day. <laughs> God, then we'll have to figure out if he was a real person or not. <gasps> no. We have to also so, figure that yeah. out for Homer, right? Oh, God. Uh, after Aesop, like, I don't know if I want to do any more possibly fake dudes. <laughs> it's so hard. <laughs> I guess. I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. <laughs> it is interesting. Yeah, we should definitely do Shakespeare at some point. But for now, we'll focus on a real poet, Sylvia Plath. Oh, <laughs> fuck yeah. Take it to the Shakespeare uh, estate. <laughs> fuck you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Only because I don't think you exist, so I yeah, don't think, I don't know I don't think anyone's thing. actually going to get mad at me for saying, fuck the Shakespeare estate. <laughs> I think you're making a safe bet. 
So um, Sylvia Plath moved back to London in December of 1962, renting an apartment with her children. Uh, the Bell Jar was published in January of 1963. Um, but then one month later, on the morning of February 11th, 1963, she stuffed towels and clothes into the cracks around the door and windows in the kitchen and taped herself in, sealing herself off from her children who were still asleep, turned on the gas taps by the oven and lay with her head on the open oven door and died. Oh, that's what happened? That's what happened. <laughs> I was always very confused about this because uh, I don't, I guess we... <laughs> I guess we're exposed to, like, very different references, but I heard a lot of Sylvia Plath and Oven references before I read The Bell Jar and knew anything about her, mm. and I was always super confused about how you off yourself with an oven. Yeah, I guess it, it takes a good amount of work, um, like, having to seal an entire room. Yeah, and I don't know that, I mean, obviously this is a gas oven, so I don't think that would work with my oven your electric oven yeah yeah um i don't know it seems i mean why choose that way is there supposed is it supposed to be peaceful sucking up gas like that like a car maybe but like don't and this is probably the part of the show where we do the obligatory if you're having suicidal thoughts call the national suicide prevention hotline people want to help sylvia plath is not a better writer because she killed herself if you are As having we suicidal thoughts don't be a selfish prick and kill yourself that's Ooh, my we're doing a hot what, take yeah. <laughs> don't fucking kill yourself it's a fucking stupid thing to do and you're an idiot you're an idiot if you do that that's my take don't do it there's people who love you people who want to talk to you people who are more than willing to spend time with you you're not alone don't be, you should be afraid of dying. You should be afraid of self-harm. Don't do it. And if you do, I'm, I'm going to be so fucking pissed. <laughs> like people, Don't make Tyler mad. I have, I have the, I have a weird reaction to shit like this. Cause I've had people in my life who have committed suicide. Like, like people who are close to me commit suicide. And I don't like it because I think it's the most selfish thing you can possibly do. And I know that, that, that that's kind of mean because other people will be like, oh, they're going through stuff. They're, they're not in the right state of mind. You're absolutely right. They're not. And sometimes they need to be reminded that they're being selfish. So, um, and, and I, can, I can speak to the mentality that goes into it. I've dealt with it. I know what it's like. I don't, I don't know what it's like to put a gun in my mouth, but I know what it's like to have a blade at my wrist. All right? Don't fucking do it. Don't put your head in an oven. <laughs> That's dumb. It's not going to be peaceful. Your body's going to reject the fact that you don't have oxygen and you're going to basically, you're going to suffocate yourself and you're going to die the same way you would when you're drowning, which is not peaceful. Your body freaks the fuck out and you're going to feel like every single nerve in your entire body is on fire all at once and you're going to be in tremendous amounts of pain. It's not romantic. It's not fun. And it's, it's not soothing. Uh, don't take pills because pills will just make you throw up and you're probably not going to die. You're going to fuck your brain up and you're going to be stuck in a comatose twilight zone for the rest of your life. And it's going to, and then your family is just going to have to take care of you and you're just becoming more of a burden. And that's the whole reason why you wanted to kill yourself in the first place. Right? So don't be dumb. Don't be a stupid person. <laughs> that's uh, that's my take. That's my whole take on that. I think that was that was a fine take. <laughs> cool. 
I'm going to put that whole don't thing at the beginning. Don't be a stupid person. I'm going to put that whole thing. I'm going to write it out. And that's going to be at the beginning of every episode where I where we touch on suicide. So because uh, Sylvia was a stupid person and did this and was still legally married to her husband, Ted Hughes, at the time, he inherited all of her stuff, including all of her written works. Good Lord. Uh, so that should be more motivation, especially if you're divorced or like separated. Yeah. To not be a stupid person. Don't be a stupid uh, yeah, so uh, Ted apparently burned her last journal, saying he didn't want their children to have to read it, which, okay, maybe I can sympathize there, but also, like, his- history, the journals. <laughs> history. Uh, he lost another one of her journals, as well as an unfinished novel, so he was not a good steward of these documents. Terrible. But he he did compile and publish all of those poems that she wrote into Ariel in 1965, uh, which launched her into kind of post-death fame. Is there um, a and reason for the name Ariel? Uh, I think I read somewhere that it was named after like a horse that she used to ride as a child. It was like her favorite horse. Okay. But I'm not a hundred percent on that. <laughs> like I don't, I don't even know if there's a poem in there called Ariel. So seems like an odd choice, but she wasn't the one who published it. Um, weirdly. Not to get conspiracy theory, but Hughes's uh, mistress, remember Asia or Asia? Asia. She killed herself and their four-year-old daughter in 1969, also using a gas stove. Interesting. So maybe maybe, Ted Hughes murdered them all. Maybe Sylvia wasn't a dumbass. Maybe the dumbass was was inside of us all along. That belongs on a shirt. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's fucking terrifying. But also, <clears throat> also not not to defend um, Hughes because Ted. he sounds he sounds like a tremendous douchebag. Um, but let's let's just in the thought process of somebody who is who is um, uh, going through some shit. If she's like, hey, I want to really hurt ted because uh he's a terrible person and his first wife uh killed herself with the oven i'm going to make him live through that again and worse um i could see that thought process being there yeah that's probably the more likely uh more likely story yeah uh also sadly uh sylvia's son nicholas he died by suicide as well in the 2000s oh Uh, but the daughter Freda Hughes is still alive and is a poet and a writer. Yeah, it sounds so God like, bless Freda. She's really been through it. Yeah, I, I, I suppose there's probably some of her, some of Sylvia's uh, mental illness that probably passed down. Yeah, I think that's probably a safe bet. Or he just pissed off Ted. Ted was already dead. Oh, Ted was dead. Got yeah, it. Ted right. was dead. Um. Yeah. So that's that's my. That, was, that is the short, sad life of Sylvia Plath, and somehow 30 years gets you a 1,000-page biography. Just put your head in an oven, and you'll get a full book. Don't do that. No, Tyler! <laughs> <laughs> That's not... You'll No. <laughs> most people don't. Most, there's not a... Ma- majority of people who put their heads in ovens don't get books. <laughs> This is not the Asia biography, okay? It doesn't work for everyone. Sure. Okay. Good Lord. We are going to hell. 
<laughs> but yeah, so I mean, Sylvia Plath, I feel bad because like due to uh, participating in NaNoWriMo, I did all of my reading at the very last second. So I didn't get to read very much of this massive biography. Sure. Um, but I do like her more as always with our authors after reading about her life and now you've made me want to reread the bell jar so as always there are plenty of authors who we don't like now that we know them more no i still like i still appreciate their work more like even mm. lovecraft i appreciate his work more now that i know that he was an okay, insufferable human hannah mr james oh fine no <laughs> screw that guy <laughs> so, talk about someone who should put their head one. in an oven right Tyler. <laughs> The Mr. James estate is going to come after us. Oh no! Yeah, that one commenter who called us. He awoke. would have. He would have really hated Sylvia Plath. Yeah, because she was she was fighting against the patriarchy, and he she got was into a college. The patriarchy. <laughs> oh man, um, yeah. How's Nino Nano Remo treating you this this year? Um. Okay, if I write 1,500 words by the end of today, I'll still be on track. Nice. Yeah. It's uh, it's going okay. It's possibly the ugliest writing I've ever done. Like, it is terrible. Yeah, you took my advice. I did take your advice. And so I was talking in our, our chat about how, like, I really only can devote an hour a day to NaNoWriMo, so I need to get better at fast writing. And I yeah. was kind of hitting the word count in about an hour and a half. Uh, which is a little bit more than I'd like to spend on work nights um, Mm. writing. So Tyler was kind of just like, just do it, make it ugly, and fix it up in revisions. And I was like, okay. Yeah. I I I got to stop overthinking it. Here, I'll I'll look it up real quick. Yeah, you said it kind of like... I was pretty happy with my... I feel like that's like some pretty good little wisdom uh, bit that I got in there. Um, we were talking um i wrote um when i get into it i'll start at 800 words an hour but by the time i've warmed up and practiced i can get up to 1800 shitty words an hour yeah i forgot it was 1800 that's that's pretty good so i've gotten to about 1700 shitty words in an hour and 15 minutes so i'm creeping closer to the hour mark yeah that's good that's awesome and I've kind of plateaued there, though. And that's what it's all about, right? It's about, like, just kind of getting the words down. And I know people who straight up have said, I don't do NaNoWriMo because it's all shitty words. And I'm like, that's what all first drafts are. <laughs> like, everybody yeah, knows mean, that that's a first draft. I, I have not written long fiction in a really long time, and I used to do that on the regular like i was always working on some novel when i was in high school and college um so this is definitely it feels good even though i'm looking at the words and i hate them so much because i'm like this is not what i'm trying to say at all but it feels good to at least have the story coming together on on the page yeah and then i can go back later and try to painstakingly turn it into something pretty yeah absolutely yeah i'm enjoying it i'm i'm working on a fantasy series uh short story series that'll all combine into one long story uh so i'm excited about that and it's it's fun to do so um so yeah well uh so yeah we're gonna we're gonna get back to the writing that's kind of why we were a little less prepared this time than usual yeah Um, and also why we're our next episode isn't an actual author because we want to finish Nano Remo strong, 
So we're going to talk. What are we talking about in our next episode? It's going to be something like random. It's just kind of going to be a free-for-all chat. You know, it's going to be Thanksgiving time. So maybe we'll just we'll, talk about Maybe we'll talk about our NaNoWriMo experience. We'll, we'll have to talk about some books that inspired us. What we, what, you know, like what we're dealing with. Yeah, we'll be close to the end by then. We're, uh, we're so. a gosh darn book podcast. We should talk about our writing experiences more, I think. Well, okay, people will have to like submit some questions because I'm bad at just talking about my uh, my writing experience. So if there's something you want to know about our stories or the process or NaNoWriMo in general, uh, send us some questions at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com. Yeah, write, write to us. Uh, that's a great segue into the, into the outro. Um, write to us at Lewis and, uh, Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com. Send us questions. You can also send us questions on, um, I'll probably, we'll post some stuff on Instagram, like asking for questions or whatever. You can comment on uh, those posts on our Instagram and Facebook. Instagram is at Lewis and Lovecraft. Um, Facebook is facebook.com slash Lewis and Lovecraft. Um, you can go to our, our website, lewisandlovecraft.com. Um, if you want to write in maybe a, a short story or a flash fiction or something that maybe you've worked on during NaNoWriMo um, I'd love to read it it's not going to be our flash fiction special or anything you know we might just grab a couple that we really like if people are sending them in and read them on the show um, just as we're sitting here reading uh, or talking so um, I'd love to share those um, real quick before we go on for real <laughs> If for real you are really dealing with suicidal thoughts or feelings of abandonment or being isolated, you're starting to no longer fear death or self-harm or you feel feelings of burden, I, I sincerely hope that you will reach out to a professional for help. If you feel like maybe that's not a step that you can take, I 100% am being completely sincere and honest me, Tyler Clausen, I want to hear from you. I want you to write to us at lewisandlovecraft at gmail.com or you can find me on Instagram. I want you to reach out to me. E- just even just to say, hey, I've had these thoughts. I'm not, I'm not going to be an asshole to you. I'm not going to flip out like I was earlier. That's kind of a bit. It's, it is some real feelings that I have to work through myself because I have people in my life that have committed suicide. I want you to reach out to me, even if it's just to have someone else in the world know that you are going through that. I'm not going to preach at you. I'm not going to try and get you to sign up for anything. I just want you to know that you have someone that you can speak to and I'm here. Um, so reach out to us, Lewis and Lovecraft at gmail.com. You can find me on Instagram at, uh, TW Clausen underscore PDX, or you can <clears throat> reach out to both of us at Lewis and Lovecraft on Instagram. Hannah, I, I hope I'm okay putting that in there for you as well. Oh yeah. No, if you're having a hard time, definitely do not reach out to me. I don't <laughs> want to hear about it. No, of course. Yeah. Uh, you're probably going to get more eloquent um, sympathy from, from Tyler. I'm very awkward when dealing with feelings. So I will probably try to help and be weird in the process. <laughs> <laughs> so go with Tyler as your first option. If Tyler doesn't answer, 
Come to me. <laughs> Tyler doesn't answer. I got you. <laughs> I got you. I'll send you like pictures of cats or something to try to cheer you up and then be what like. What the fuck, Hannah? I've never gotten any cat pictures. Okay, I'm going to start sending you weekly cat pictures now. Yeah, and if you need cat pictures, you can also go follow at Sweet Baby Pabu. <laughs> That's my cat's Instagram page. <laughs> well, damn it. You just took the one thing I had going for me as a non-licensed therapist. Right, is the cat pictures. <laughs> damn it. I have to come up with something else. No, but seriously, uh, if, if you need help, reach out to a professional, ideally. But we are also here to to listen and do what we can. Yeah, absolutely. Um... God, I feel weird th- yeah, plugging into Jake Bass and have to jump right back into the normal stuff. So, <laughs> um, thank you to Jake Bassin for our awesome intro music. You can follow him and all of his work at SoundCloud.com/slash Jake Bassin. Yeah, make sure you subscribe to our show so that you can catch all of the stuff that we do, like these deep dives. Sometimes lately we've been doing correspondence, but I've been kind of saving them for the new year when I'm not gonna be around for a little bit. We'll talk more about that next episode. Make sure you, if you want to support our show, you can go to our Patreon and you can support our show there. And rate and review us wherever you can, especially on Apple Podcasts and Podchaser. Those are two of the big ones. Uh, we haven't gotten any new reviews in a while, so I think it's fun, guys. Uh, I mean, if you're thinking about Christmas, a good Christmas gift is that. Or that's all I want. The best present oh. that you can give us is cash. Cold heart. Oh. No. <laughs> okay. no. Uh, tell your friends about our show. Um, tell yes. them about how awkward we are when we're trying to keep people from suicide and putting their heads in the oven. Tell them about how much I curse when I'm doing a sermon uh, about Jesus and all of that stuff. Talk about <laughs> Hannah, who is constantly putting up with my tangents um, and won't give me a good bit to do at the beginning of our show. Because I didn't want to be offensive. That's what I have you for. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, take two seconds to tell your friends about us so that we can grow as a podcast. All right. I I think that covered it. You kind of already did the teaser for next episode. Yeah, I did. Tyler's going to tell you some big secret. Some big secret. It's a big secret. It will change your life. Your life. And until then, stay cool, ghoul gang. Good luck. (laughs) 